Good Wednesday morning. It's December 2nd, 2020. Per usual in this heated, turbulent time, lots to talk about, lots from Michigan. I am, uh, I was overwhelmed. It's day-to-day, right? Pennsylvania last week, Arizona Monday, Michigan Tuesday, uh, and, and it's the same theme, right? The same conclusion for sure. They cheated their asses off. They did it pretty well. The only reason we're having these hearings and people noticed in a meaningful way is they did it in such volume, they they essentially overdid it, right? That's the one thing we can hope helps us throughout this. It's certainly getting some things done is they just, they went nuts with it because we showed up. And that's something I mention every time because it's important to remember that we did what we could. We did the only thing we could, which was legally vote. And these cheating asshats decided that our voice doesn't matter. And they, they didn't decide it that night. They've known it for years. They felt it for years. People you think are your friends, people that you might have followed on the news or thought they were fair and just disagreed with us. You learned they don't care what you think. They don't care for you to have a voice because you don't agree with them. And this is all playing out. Finally, it's happened. At least we're exposing it. And uh, we're hearing, you know, now uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit real quick about the Project Veritas release of the CNN tapes. It's actually a viral hashtag, hashtag CNN tapes. James O'Keefe has really outdone himself. This is an incredible project. Long story short, I won't talk too much about it because they've only released a little bit, but O'Keefe infiltrated the CNN internal conference calls, their daily Zoom calls, right, to plan their day, to strategize, to essentially talk about how they're going to bring down bad orange man. It's everything we know. It's not a surprise at all if you know CNN especially, right? CNN and MSNBC are a mess, right? They don't just have the opinion shows in the evening or the early morning coffee talk opinion show. It's a full 24-7 anti-conservative, anti-American, and of course anti-Trump administration from an operational standpoint, right? That is their mission. And every day they have an operations meeting in the morning, a call at CNN to discuss how they're going to shape the news. And we heard one of the examples live, well, when James O'Keefe shared it live, but he's been taping these for two months. And he's got Zuck, the CEO, dead to rights. And they're freaking out, right? These, (laughs) they're actually threatening. They called the police and it's legal. Right. So the disclosure laws and right to um, basically record conversations differ by state. And apparently where O'Keefe recorded how they did this, it's perfectly legal. I didn't know this, but Veritas has been sued hundreds of times and they've won every lawsuit. This is what they do. They infiltrate and they record leftist radicals and then they bring it to the public. This might be his greatest achievement since exposing the abortion uh body part sales. That really, I think, is what put him on the national map. He's also had Democrat political operatives recorded video, audio, telling them, telling the person recording, because he's got people working for him. He really protects people too legally as whistleblowers. He's got one of these guys on there just basically laying out how they cheat. And this was a few months ago. So it's incredible. We're seeing how these cheating operations play out, obviously, with all the testimony we'll talk talk about today. But it's just amazing. The things we know about these scumbags we are going to hear it in their own words. I mean, it is un- unbelievable the little bit he's released, how they talk about trying to pin a possible 9-11 style terrorist attack on Trump's 
disinterest in a transition right after the election. It's you got to hear it. Go to projectveritas.com. You can follow him on Twitter. I do. Of course, I'm at Enemy Lines Radio on Twitter, and I've been retweeting their stuff. It's it's really going to be a lot of fun. They've got two months, two months of recordings. And to close this out, O'Keefe has recorded when he called, he got Zuck on the line, the CEO, and told him what he did, told him about the recordings, and of course asked him for comment, and, and Zuck is just scrambling. He didn't hang up because he was stunned, and he, he knows O'Keefe. They know who he is. So great job, James O'Keefe, and the brave people at Project Veritas, and the brave person at CNN who granted him access. Good for, good for that guy or gal. So Michigan, right? Um, and it was really strange, right? And so Michigan, the Michigan hearing for most of us was probably the big news yesterday, and we watched some of it. Right during, um, Attorney General Barr comes out in this weird AP interview release, I think it was yesterday, I believe it was, he says that they haven't found, and this is really interesting, and of course the AP leads with one statement, that's what they do. This is the same AP that called Arizona uh, for Biden 10 minutes after the Arizona polls closed. Same AP. So right there with Fox News, it landing the biggest screw-up of election night, and now we're supposed to follow the Associated Press for actual news. I don't think so. But Barr did an interview with him. I think that's a little bizarre if he just did it thinking he was doing an actual interview. So let's not, you know, sleep on Barr right now. There are certainly things we'd like him and um, the IG investigator Durham he appointed to have done sooner. That work is still continuing. And that was also something Barr released yesterday. But the first thing was this interview where he said, and I'm paraphrasing, we, we haven't seen any widespread fraud, any evidence. And of course, this just went crazy with the left. The people that haven't heard any of the testimony, read any of the sworn affidavits from real Americans, from real whistleblowers that have been shared now for days and continue to be shared and will be again in hearings tomorrow in Georgia and Nevada. We'll get to that. But you know, here, here they are doing this interview, but then a DOJ spokesperson comes out and says, well, we're, we will look into this, right? So it, it felt kind of coordinated on Barr's office, on the DOJ, because he comes out with this interview and he wasn't really specific, right? What is widespread voter fraud? I mean, is it all the states? Is it 40 states? Is it two? It's really pretty generic. And that was intentional because think about the opposite. Think about if Barr shared his opinion as an attorney, as the attorney, the most powerful attorney, arguably in the world, definitely in the United States, who is a Trump appointee, what if yesterday he says, I, I think this, there's some real concerns and we are going to look into this. He makes the kind of statement that instinctively we want to hear right away. We love that. That's tasty red meat. But then as we chew, we realize, man, this is tougher because guess what the press would do then? They'd go nuts. They'd call him Trump's attack dog. They'd say it's a constitutional crisis yada 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 and they would control the narrative even more and in the interview he goes a little further to talk about voting fraud concerns and so it's not like he was it didn't happen there's nothing to see here he really talked about the ideas of or the the idea that there has been issues and again i'm paraphrasing it was really a, a vanilla interview it's something that the attorney general should give if he's going to give one and all one at all and he was at the white house soon after and then releases a statement essentially rebooting Durham to continue his 
investigation into the Russia probe and how fraudulent it was, the FISA warrants, all that nonsense, the spying on Trump, the tactics, the, the ignoring of the fact that they had no evidence. And don't forget, all of the players that told you Trump cheated and worked with Russia are on record in hearings saying they didn't have evidence. I'm not, I'm not paraphrasing. They said they didn't have much or anything. They couldn't. From Brennan to Comey to Rice, all of these clowns, when they swore in under oath, they had Jack. So that's being investigated. And no matter what happens, that can go until January 20th, essentially. And after that, if Biden, if he pulls this off, if he were to fire a special counsel, what does that do? Remember what was being talked about when Trump wanted to fire Comey. They were ready to go nuts. They're on the record of saying, you can't do that. Okay, let's see what happens when they tell Biden to fire Durham. Because Durham's digging. This is a real investigation. He's doing it right. We wanted to see things sooner. Apparently, COVID slowed things down. I get that. And of course, without COVID, we probably have all the evidence he's finding and will find available today. And there will be hearings. Okay, the special counsel at least will put together a report. And it is why we hope we can control the Senate after the runoffs in January. So that interview with the Associated Press wasn't the only thing. It was a little bit bizarre. If you just look at it for face value, I'm leaning and I'm not a conspiracy person, but I'm leaning to the fact that it was coordinated. And I believe Trump probably knew about it and trusted Barr to give the media a little red meat and actually distance himself because nothing is going to happen with the DOJ in time, in my opinion, unless it's that absolute knockout punch that we're, we might see, it's a small chance. The DOJ is not coming with anything that's going to give the election back to Trump in time, right? Especially before next Friday when the electors have to be sent. So on to Michigan. Um, it was uh, pretty, pretty crazy stuff, you know, and, and I don't want to spend too much time because I have a feeling you watched and I hope you did. Uh, the there were a couple of the live testimonies, live statements I heard. You know, they had two minutes to open. So it's a lot of pressure for someone. More of them did better than I think than overall. I think about 50-50 as far as really nailing their opening statement. And of course, they turned out to be people that were that had done this before, that were used to public hearings, that were used to showing up and asking civic leaders and state leaders questions. Um, the one... The one that really stands out for me is Dr. Linda Lee Tarver. She's a Republican Afri activist, African-American, and just all about the fire. I mean, she came in there and she basically told that panel of Democrat and Republican local or state leaders. That was the difference. I really liked how Michigan did it. One, they did it in their um, assembly, you know, um, I would say council room, right? It was a room set up in a public building for these types of hearings uh, for the state of Michigan. And each of these witnesses were cross-examined. Now, the Democrats doing it were careful and they were smart and they seemed like pretty nice people. One lady tried to go after the first, um, the first witness and it was a um, Republican kind of heavyweight who talked about the, um, he hearkened to essentially just fraudulent numbers and the actual data they have and um, just ballots that had no business being counted. The Democrat went after him a little bit, but he did a good job and said, well, you're asking for, you know, fraud. All I can tell you is here it is. And she was like, well, why haven't we found it before? Well, Linda Lee Tarver comes in and I think they anticipated that question. Like, why haven't we brought this up before? 
Well, Linda Lee Tarver, Dr. Tarver, has been doing this a long time. She's been a poll watcher, Republican activist. She's a heavyweight. She's been doing this. And she talked about specifically how this fraud is targeted on minorities in these urban areas. I mean, she stole the false narrative of the left right out of their hands. She took their candy and they didn't even see it coming. And if this were opposite, if this was a Democrat and she said the same things about what Republicans do and have done for years in these inner cities, this would be running 24-7. It would be time person of the year level testimony. That's how good it was. I, I recommend, if you have a moment, Linda Lee, L-E-E, Tarver, T-A-R-V-E-R. She's fantastic. And she really held them to account. And um, the, a fairly nice Democrat, he wasn't trying to trip her up. He had some specific questions about how this happens and why things haven't been done and why the, it's really funny, he asked why the state hasn't done anything. And she said, the laws are there. The laws are there to be enforced. The state doesn't need to do anything. This corruption is at the county level in these urban counties and cities. It's been like that for years. And he didn't realize he kind of you know poked a hornet's nest when he said that. He thought it would be, and he was nice, but he was like, why haven't we fixed this? Why haven't the Republican state legislature here in Michigan, why haven't they fixed it? Because they control it. She nailed him. She said, the laws are there. We don't enforce them. This was the worst year. We weren't allowed to look. We were told they couldn't change anything. It, it's incredible what she described. And um, you saw the, the next one I want to highlight um, is uh, the head canvasser from Wayne County who became a bit famous last week when she was voting not to certify Wayne County. And then, of course, she got bullied like her colleague did. So instead of a two to two, it went four to zero. But then they rescinded their certification. I think that was really an incredible shot fired across the bow and a big bat signal for the Republicans in Michigan to act because she said she was harassed, she was threatened, she was scared and did not want to certify Wayne County because 71% of the votes in Wayne County were, um, what do they say, they're um, unknown or they're, um, they're questionable without reason. And I'm not using the exact term, but you know they say, okay, these there are certain ballots that are in question but it's okay, it's clerical type stuff. And then, but 71% were contested, were unverifiable without reason. Like it's a real serious number, 71%. And this number carried on because Linda Lee Tarver brought it up. And, um, and so did someone else who followed the canvasser from Wayne County. So the Wayne County canvasser, I really like how, I'm assuming Rudy's team set up the order. They really built the story around 71% of the boat vote being potentially fraudulent in Wayne County. That's the county of Detroit. It's the largest, most massive county in Michigan. So the canvasser talks about that. Tarver had talked about it while also just calling out the long-term fraud of the Democrats and the disenfranchisement of minorities in her, in Linda Lee Tarver's hometown and district she worked in Lansing and Wayne County. She dropped a bomb. It was fantastic. The closer was a woman by the name of Karama. She had to correct the, the, the Republican. His name was Lucido. The Republican uh, legislature member did a great job. Another Italian. It's why you got uh, Mastriano in Pennsylvania, Lucido in, uh, in Michigan. Karama comes up, also an African-American female. She goes and talks about how she was treated. So she puts a little bit of detail into that night. She told a great story. 
and really explained something to me that I didn't understand about audits even, right? And I assumed when they use the word audit, they mean they're looking at each ballot. That is not the case. Recounts are, are, and audits can be very similar. And what really blew me away, and she did a great job, and she didn't, what was smart is she didn't let things focus on dominion. I'm so glad she didn't talk or say the words dominion when she talked about the voting machines, because that might have distracted from the incredible detail and really, um, I'd say, um, revolution she kind of delivered for people that don't understand these machines. So she talked about an audit even, still looking at tabulation data from the machine and the ballots. So when you, when you complete your ballot on the system and you bring it over and you pass it through these machines, they go into what she referred to as essentially a lock box, right? They're secured. And very few people can open that box. And to do that, it requires essentially an act of God. I mean, she talked about it being in their election procedures in certain in in certain requests or challenges, but it's never done. So that dawned on me. I said, wait a minute. So the actual ballots are not readily accessible, right? They run them through, they're in this lockbox, and when they do an audit. She was talking about how they were looking at the tabulations, right? Which can be, could be computer manipulated, right? Can be overridden. And she talked about specific overrides and she got into arguments, big ones. She was screamed at, to use her own words, by one of the supervisor when she was challenging somebody on repeatedly giving challenged ballots to Joe Biden. One example was that one the ballot was marked for Biden and the Green Party candidate. That's an illegal ballot. You cannot assign it randomly to Biden or the Green Party candidate. Well, this woman did. So that sent a red flag for Karama. So she was watching this person and saw it happen again. So she called her out. And they, she said, you know, this is a problem. And she said after that evening, after she got bullied, harassed, and really couldn't do any of the challenging she's supposed to, she has went through the process. Same with Tarver. They all talked about how they can go to the leadership Right, the people in the Secretary of State's office who run the elections and per challenging get their ruling to open up and actually look at ballots. That is what happened in Wisconsin. That's the key here. And that's how you challenge ballots in an audit is they actually get the damn paper with the votes on them out, right? The paper that you run through the tabulator, whether it's Dominion or anything else. These recounts, these audits are just looking at the computer generated tallies and recounting them. That, that's absolutely mind-blowing, that that's what we were depending on with an audit, per se, when they use the term audit in Arizona, that we do an automatic audit. They throw that out there. No, you do a recount of the computer-generated, which happens to be Dominion system, results, not a look at the actual ballot. So this was a great point, and it really shed some light on something that's good that's happening in Arizona. I don't think I mentioned it yesterday. And I will now, but to close out, uh, these Michigan uh, witnesses were incredible. And the one of them even, I don't want to forget, talked about military, I mean, there's so many. They talked about military ballots, right? Batches of ballots that looked like they'd been computer marked. And this is interesting because I, you just got to wonder how, what computer, is it a Dominion system that can do that? It can, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. It might not be. These could be pre-printed right? These could be counterfeit. 
These could be actual ballots that someone ran through a machine and had them pre-marked, but they weren't folded, they weren't marked. These are military absentee ballots. Let me tell you, I've sent one before many, many moons ago. There were plenty of creases, right? I mean, I think I actually spilled something on it. Not sure if it even counted. I think it was for Bob Dole, right? Hilarious. And so um, these ballots are going to have folds. They're going to look handled. And we've heard this in other states, in other testimony, in the hearings, that these types of ballots were coming in constantly. Well, the military one, she saw batches that were 100% for Biden. I don't need to go into detail how that is a bit ridiculous, right? And the military almost, I mean, does. It always leans Republican in general, especially for Trump, right? And so that is a huge red flag. She testified, like all these other people in Michigan, Arizona, Pennsylvania, essentially under oath. Everybody at the end was asked, did you provide a sworn written statement? Most said yes. Others said, I will have it to you today because they just are now getting involved. So fantastic stuff. And it really leads, you talk about these systems and what had happened in Arizona, because I asked the question, how come these audits, right, of ballots are not catching the alleged Dominion fraud, right, the digital manipulation of votes? Well, two things. One, audits aren't happening as we define them. Arizona now, per a judge, is required to allow Republican lawyers, Trump team lawyers, to pick random samples, right, of envelopes, mail-in ballots. That's the focus, right? They call them request or vote by mail is actual term in Arizona. They don't have absentee ballots in Arizona. It's a very easily traded term. They're used interchangeably. So it's, you know, they used absentee quite a bit in the hearing, but it's vote by mail. And these ballots have signature matching, have envelopes, and they're now allowed to take samples of the actual paper ballots and look at them, right? Just like what happened in two counties in Wisconsin, right? Kind of go full circle here. It's what we need. We need hard evidence to go along with all of this shocking testimony. It's just going to be required to compel any judge at any level to make a judgment, right? To remedy, right? To to make a remedy that favors Donald Trump. Who knows what that could be, right? It could be constitutional and say the state legislature needs to decide the electors. It could be to throw out batches of ballots. We've got to get some kind of legal remedy. We don't need it in every state if the state legislatures are going to pony up after these hearings and say, hey, we can't certify. But we got to get those wins, right? The knockdowns I talked about yesterday. And in Arizona, we're definitely in good shape. After the hearing, right, this judge comes and says, you know what, I will, I will uh, support an injunction and forcing Arizona, these counties, Maricopa and Pima, right, to show a sample, large samples of ballots to be looked at and audited uh, in person. That's fantastic news, and that's what we need uh, because, you know, the uh, the old way or the traditional way of auditing doesn't really mean anything. You can't take that at face value. Audit can mean different things in different states, and so we got to be careful about what kind of audit we get excited about. Um, moving on to, I want to talk a little bit more about just shocking testimony. If you saw it, I'm sure you did, uh, Jesse Morgan and a guy named, I think, Nathan Meese. I have him here. So the two young dudes in Arlington, Virginia yesterday. So this was an Amistad project, uh, which is founded and run by a former uh, state attorney general. Uh, name's not important, but he did a great job giving an opening. They did opening. They did a presentation. You might have saw the, the boards and um, presented some evidence and did a good job of walking you through 
Jesse and Nathan's testimony and kind of giving some details on the boxes uh, they referred to. One of them is called, I didn't know this, those giant pallet boxes that can be actually up to six feet high or more, like Jesse the truck driver described. They're called Gaylords. So Jesse, I think his was really the most moving. He did about a nine-minute statement. You can tell he did not want to be there. He's the one that said, I have everything to lose and nothing to gain. Those were his words. He looked nervous. He looked uncomfortable. But once he warmed into it, he started looking at the audience and pausing for effect. It got more natural to him. Why? Because he's upset. And like he said during the whole experience, this guy is the one who drove ballots, thinking he was being a part of the, of the election, really proud of it at first. Those are his words. But realized something was up. Why am I driving thousands of boxed ballots, completed ballots from New York to two stops in Pennsylvania. He picked them up in a place called Beth Page, New York. Now, what's great about Jesse, one, he's a trucker, blue collar guy, non-political. He said that. You know it when you hear him talk. He's all about simplicity. He's a simple dude. He even said when he was delayed, I was really starting to get mad because my brother was coming in town and I was looking forward to seeing him. It was great. He'd add those uh, the nuance to the story, the details of how he was feeling, it really makes a witness credible. But long story short, he has his regular route. He's driving large batches of mail. He picks up in Bethpage, New York to a giant center that he goes to. He goes to in Harrisburg and another location, sorting centers in Pennsylvania. He has two stops. The first one, he gets there. It's normally a stop and go. They un they, he pulls in. They unload the, the, the mail, the boxes for that stop. And he gets his slip, that's his words, right? His basically his confirmation that he's done his job and off he goes to his second and final stop because it's a pretty long drive from Bethpage, New York to the two locations in Pennsylvania. He was detained, delayed six hours at that first stop in Pennsylvania. They didn't unload anything. He couldn't believe it. And he was really getting concerned because not only was he late, he didn't want to be held accountable for being late. And so he needed a late slip and also something that documented that he was there. He said he was given um, the runaround for six hours when finally the supervisor of the entire um, sorting center, this big warehouse, who he never deals with. And he said, that's somebody my boss deals with. I'm just a truck driver. So that really threw him off. And that person was rude to him and told him basically to shove off, go shine. We're not doing anything and drive on to your next stop. And he's thinking, well, if you don't unload this here, then the people at my next stop are going to have to unload it, get their stuff, and put yours. He's just completely mesmerized. This has never happened. And he talked about it being his regular route. It's always the same. And so he finally gets on his way, gets to his final stop. I think that was Harrisburg. It doesn't matter. They're not. It, it, he didn't really say, but there's nobody there. He left his trailer. This is a big semi-truck, right? He left it and drove the truck, right, the actual truck home. Comes back the next day, his trailer. He said it was 10R414. He, knew, he knows the number. Because it's one of his favorites. He loved that trailer. He says that. It's easy to use. He even describes, it was really good. He described some lift features. He said it's a smooth ride. Um, it's just, you know, I've had it. It's a great, it's a great trailer. And it's gone. With hundreds of thousands. He thinks from 100,000 to 238,000 completed ballots, gone. The trailer, gone. I mean, this is crazy stuff. And another postal driver, a contract guy, uh, spoke before him talking about what he'd heard. He heard that there was 100,000 ballots missing in the Wisconsin route. He, um, he talked about how he'd heard people. He even named one, Rachel, who was bragging about throwing out ballots. And so they're just shedding a terrible light on a terrible situation that these poor postal workers were thrust into. Brave dudes, right? And they were whistleblowers. They were protected. They did not have to do this yesterday, and they did it. And, um, you know, 
these these are the guys we need and and we'll talk a little about a little bit about them at the end right non-political both of them um, did not vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Hell, Jesse Morgan, the big heavyset guy, the truck driver, he was on Hannity later um, last night, and he said he didn't vote at all. Nathan, uh, who's 20 years old, the young, skinnier guy, he said, I voted for the libertarian, and I'm just more of a libertarian. I mean, fortunately, we're getting enough of this news, this testimony out, this fraud, that these non-political people, the people that sat on the sidelines, they're starting to see this. This can be a huge recruiting opportunity for the Trump Republican Party because what they're seeing, they know the fraud went one way, right? And they're going to ask, why would they have to steal? Why isn't their message on the left good enough to win fair? We know the answer because there really isn't one. It's all about race, social class warfare, right? Um, cancel culture, pitting us against each other and getting as much people as possible on the government ticket, right? Get them into the nanny state and vote by mail is another way to just harvest right? That type of voter. Get people thinking, hey, just we're going to pay you. And they did it. Arizona, I mean, gosh, they gave out gift cards. You can look at the video in these um, tribal nations. I mean, by the thousands, they're essentially telling people, bring your Biden vote, come vote, and we'll put you in a raffle for a gift card. I just give them out in a drive-up voting station. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. Trump retweeted one of the marketing videos where someone at one of these tribal community centers was talking about coming down and getting your vote in and we all know who they're driving the vote for. Um, so, you know, that closes out Michigan and, of course, more of the Pennsylvania, Wisconsin testimony that went down at the same time, right? So that Arlington, Virginia press conference was coordinated to go while people were watching the Michigan hearings. I think it was smart. A lot of people uh, tuned in to Jesse and Nathan's presentation and their, their press release uh, that wouldn't have otherwise had these hearings not been going on in Michigan. Let's uh, let's get to some interesting um, international things uh, going on. Uh, you might have seen that uh, Lynn Wood, the attorney prosecuting uh, the cases in Georgia, he's appearing, I believe, today in front of the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in Georgia. Um, he's got a lot of Dominion evidence, a lot of ballot fraud evidence that he's fighting to um, share and gain a judgment from the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Lynn released an actual link yesterday and information showing that UBS, big, big bank, which is majority owned by China, acquired a transaction, an SEC, SEC filing. It's a link. So it's not some document he provided. He provides the link from SEC.gov. And if you follow him on Twitter, it's there. You click on it, it takes you right to a public filing of a, an offer. That's the way I interpret it. I don't know if it would be considered a receipt that offers and acqu would acquire the parent company of Dominion. So UBS, they're right there, <laughs> making a $400 million public offer to buy Dominion. Now, I'm incredibly curious because in about 10 minutes, um, 2 o'clock, or is it noon Eastern, I think? I'm not sure. It's actually... Yeah, we're past that. So, no, yeah, at 2 Eastern. So in 10 minutes, Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell are going to have a press conference. And at all times with his announcement yesterday that he says he can prove, not only with this SEC filing, that a Chinese bank, China, owns Dominion. It's nuts. And you can look at the SEC filing, and that accusation is starting to gain traction. It is another potential reason Trump could enact activate that executive order from two years ago 
that requires foreign interference into an election. That would definitely be it, right? If, if while contracts are actively being awarded for Dominion to uh, be the vendor system, right? The computer and tabulator with Smartmatic, while that's going on, for a Chinese company to buy the parent company of Dominion would be one heck of an act and it could be easily proven, I'm sorry, but as treason, right? As an opportunity, as an attempt to interfere in our election. Because we all know there's some really concerning testimony around Dominion and actual evidence of fraud with the use of the Dominion and Smartmatic systems. And, you know, one of my problems with getting too excited about that has been, well, how do you match up when you when you manipulate the computer, right? You go in and you change votes by the thousands from Trump to Biden. How do you cover yourself when the ballots are eventually actually looked at? Well, we know now that's rarely happened, right? That just isn't happening in um, in these audits. They have to be really special audits, judgments from the courts to say, no, you got to look at the ballots, right? This is what Trump paid for in the two counties in Wisconsin. So I, I kind of have to correct myself and I was, it explains to me why some of these recount audits didn't show that there were thousands of paper ballots that didn't match up to the count, right? The result that was shared with the press and um, is being used to certify these states. Well, apparently the Dominion system can print on ballots. It's called image cast evolution right? And it's not new. And a doctor from Princeton, well, a PhD, Princeton cybersecurity expert in 2017, expressed concerns over the Dominion image cast evolution systems. And he said he was concerned, not really in general with hacking election machines or tabulators, or now we know computers. He was specifically concerned. This is 2017, cybersecurity expert from Princeton. He's specifically concerned with the Dominion image cast evolution model. And because not only can it be hacked, he said it is designed to actually print on ballots. And you're thinking, why would they do that, right? It's supposed to just count and tabulate total and share the information, right? Unfortunately, not only to local servers, but it seems like servers in Frankfurt, Germany. Well, to help somebody who's disabled, who cannot fill out or handle the tabulator themselves or the, the touch screen, right? The Dominion can be used. It is a feature to print on the ballot for someone. So if it can be used, it can be abused. I'm sorry with what we're seeing. I have no doubt it was. And so I don't know if it's related to these computer print ballots that these poll watchers saw. I doubt it. I think that's different because we're talking about printing on the ballot as you run it through, right? It's completing it for you because you can't do it yourself. So if you have a number of blank ballots and you are able to access the system and manipulate the number, then at some point you could easily over time run blank ballots through and get the votes you need. That's one way the paper matches up, right? You could do it that way. It would be probably difficult to do and get away with even that night while you're doing it or the early morning when less people are watching maybe, and maybe that's when they did it. So that takes one thing off the table for me. One of my glaring questions was, okay, Sidney Powell, if they're in there manipulating votes, if there's an algorithm manipulating the digital result, how do we get the paper to match up? Image cast, Dominion image cast technology could be one way. And I'm sure it was abused in a number of, you know, whether coordinated or just um, 
you know, individual instances of fraud because we hear about that so much from the testimony. Now, another theory that's been put out there, I think this is pretty pretty reasonable, is frankly just pre-printing ballots, right? I mean, if you're going to um, if you're going to digitally manipulate results, all you have to do at some point is have pre-printed ballots mixed in the system at some point after the tabulation is done. So like at, if you had an algorithm award or switch 10,000 votes from Trump to Biden, that's a 20,000 net. But you, you know, there's 10,000 ballots that are different, right? Um, you, you know, or adding. I think this would really be where you add votes. And this guy, Lieutenant General McInerney, um, is really the one I think that's leading the charge in this. He's out there, right? But he was a, a three-star general in the Air Force, and he is an info warfare guy. This guy knows his stuff. He believes that there was mass printing presses used to pre-print ballots, and it lines up with some of the testimony. It sounds like pre-printed ballots were somehow mixed in the system. He believes that that was one way the Dominion systems easily were able to tabulate additional votes for Biden, right? Added votes, and it works. You get those in there, you run through, you've got the ballots to match the number. Now, they will not hold up under scrutiny. And I believe of the 268, 250,000 Wisconsin ballots that were challenged in the two-county audit, I have a feeling a number of these ballots were these pre-printed, you know, non-handled, perfectly flat vote by mail, or in Wisconsin, they're absentee. I'm hoping that's a big portion of that 250,000. We're going to know soon because that case is being heard as we speak. It's a big day in Wisconsin, so we've been talking about it. We know 100,000 of those ballots are absentee ballots that did not have a request. That is legally required. That's how they know it's your ballot, that you requested it. That's what an absentee ballot you know, really is across the board. I know that's the case in California. You request it, it's absentee, you send it in, you have to signature, you, know, you have to sign it, and I believe you have to have a witness. I haven't voted absentee here, um, but people I know have. And so that's what they're looking at in Wisconsin. And to go full circle, we're getting some good answers as to how votes were injected, right? Not just simply digitally, but paper matching. And so, um, again, I don't know what happens when they start looking at ballots because, uh, you know, you probably realized what I was saying earlier. If you switch votes from Trump to Biden in the computer, what happens when you look at the paper? Well, clearly, you should see what you saw in Antrim County, Michigan. That goes back a, I mean, three weeks now. That was the first Dominion red flag when there was 6,000 votes given to Biden that were supposed to be given to Trump. That's a 12,000 vote swing. And that really got people's attention because there are people now saying that was manually done. So walk through this with me. Let's walk together on this. If you go in the computer and do what Sidney Powell said was done and you change votes from Trump to Biden, then the paper's not gonna match. The actual paper in the lock boxes, right? The paper that has really not been accessed in any audit except for Wisconsin. But you go in there and, and you say, okay, we got a real problem. Why? Because we just recounted manually the paper ballots and it doesn't match up anywhere close with what the computer tabulation and the result that was certified says. Because if thousands were manipulated in the computer, it doesn't change the paper. And we are learning that the paper has not been looked at nearly as much as we thought. So that's what we have to get from these governors. I know Georgia Kemp, supposed Republican, 
he can order this level of audit. It's the kind of audit that's going on in Arizona. My question, and this math gets tough, is how if you only do a sample, for instance, Wisconsin was just a sample. It was two counties. Cost Trump's team $3 million, right? Money well spent. We, we all supported. I donated to it. But if you, you've got to have access to that county, Wayne, or sorry, Milwaukee County's specific results that they reported, and then look at every ballot. And if you do, thousands should be different, right? Than the tabulation through the computer because they were, if they were manipulated by a USB, you know, algorithm that was injected like a virus or just manipulated manually in the middle of the night, in the wee hours of the morning by someone who has admin access goes in and just digitally changes votes, that does nothing to the paper ballots that were passed through the machine and are sitting in the lock bin. So if they looked at every paper ballot in Milwaukee and audited, and not only audited, but recounted them, I'm hoping that a, a good few thousand of the challenged ballots being argued in court today in Wisconsin include, hey, Milwaukee County, this precinct reported 20,000 for Biden, 15,000 for Trump, but actually, when we hand recounted it, it was twenty thousand. You know, it was thirty thousand for Trump, five for Biden. Right? You're going to have this big flip because it's a reversal. So you're it's a two it's a two vote take. When you switch from Trump to Biden, that's a huge deal. You're not just adding a vote for Biden. You're minusing Trump. So the recount of the paper is going to have a big change if they did that. It's going to be a big mismatch in these precincts where they did this. I think subtle lower number flip. Um, now, when you get into these big vote dumps of 138,000 votes coming in the middle of the night, you and I both know there's going to be a lot of crap BS ballots in there, right? Pre-printed, God knows what. The problem is no way they kept those votes together after they counted them, right? That's how they did this. They mixed them in just like they did in Pennsylvania when they weren't supposed to with the mail-in votes that arrived after 8 p.m. on November 3rd. These guys covered their tracks. So that paper is going to be distributed in massive hundreds of thousands of votes hidden in those stacks, in those boxes throughout. But like in Milwaukee and Dane County, if you did, if you audited them all, you're going to find them eventually. They're going to stick out. They stuck out in all the testimony when you hear in Arizona, when you hear in Michigan, these people said, I'm watching these ballots come in and they're just clearly fake. They're computer printed. They're not folded. They're mail ballots. How does that happen? Well, it's put up or shut up time in Wisconsin today. That is got to be, has got to be part of what is revealed to these judges. And eventually in Michigan, when they're finally back in front of the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, right? You know, now this one, that's the constitutional case we'll talk about in a second. The one with um, Parnell and Kelly, that's going to the Supreme Court, we hope. Um, but these counts are going down, right? I mean, we got Wisconsin, we got the court cases, and there are more legal opportunities looking to potentially go our way. Um, we know about Georgia. I talked about it. It's going to start any second um, with Powell and Wood. The, um, they're going to talk specifically about the Dominion system erasure in Fulton County. And I alluded to it a couple days ago. It's been proven. In preparation for the runoff, the largest county in Georgia, where Atlanta is, allowed a tech to come in, a Dominion tech, to update the systems, and apparently the server 
for that location is missing, missing. And when you update, you erase. Now, that doesn't do anything to paper ballots, but it, it's real shady and it really got people fired up. And it is likely illegal because there was a court ruling late Sunday night that expressly prohibited any hand, hand any handling, anything, updates, touching, breathing on or otherwise of Dominion systems in Georgia. So this tech who I believe did this this week, there's really no timestamp on it, but if somebody did it this week, they're in a lot of trouble. Their bosses are. Whoever ordered that person to go is going to f receive some heat because they did that illegally, illegally against the judge's orders and judges do not like that. And if you saw the lame Secretary of State, lame Raffenberger, yesterday had an impassioned temper tantrum press conference. He was trying to get out in front of another accusation, one of these texts manipulating something live. If you saw the video, it was on Gateway Pundit for a while. They put his ID out. I thought it was pretty harsh. They put this guy's Dominion you know, contractor badge working for the county out. But that somebody, one of the poll watchers, it was after the election, has this guy on their cell phone video taking a USB from a machine to a laptop. Now, Raffenberger comes out and says, this guy's got death threats, yada, yada, yada. Of course, there was a noose on his doorstep. Who knows who did that? We never know what typically turns out to be, you know, somebody um, pulling a Smollett. We don't know in this guy's case, and he certainly doesn't deserve that. But, and I felt concerned because Raffenberger, who should be a leader and should be correct, said it was legal. He was doing nothing wrong. He was essentially, you know, taking care of software. And that's the problem with computers these days. You can just say, well, the tech needed the USB to take care of an update or move votes. Well, the guy pulls the USB from a voting system takes it to a laptop. I wouldn't say he was shady, but he there was really nobody paying attention to him. And then he leaves with that USB. It, it, it was just strange. Um, but come to find out today, uh, he broke the rules. You can't do that. What he did, what this tech did with the USB is not legal. Raffenberger is big shocker, wrong. And so we come full circle, Dominion's covering tracks. These counties are I think a lot of these leaders, Republican or Democrat, just want this to go away, even if they wanted Trump to win, because their careers are in jeopardy if fraud is proven. You ran the election and you screwed up. How are you going to get reelected? Any opponent is going to smoke you on that, right? This is a massive deal. This is one of the greatest privileges and rights we have as an American, and you were unable to protect it. Those people aren't getting reelected, right? They're not. And they know it. And we know how people get when they want to stay in power and they want to protect their power, and that is sad. Um, there's an announcement coming today. It might have already happened, and I'm excited to hear about it when I go up, and I actually will look on live to see, but Arizona's Republican Party is going to um, going to make an announcement today. You know, two days after the hearing, my anticipation, there's already been word that they are going to pass or at least you know, present a resolution to maybe go all, they might just say it in the resolution and say, hey, we can't certify. There have been people in Arizona, Republicans in power, talking about sending the electors for Trump based on the evidence. I think they're preparing for a legal win. And if a judge says that they can't certify the election as is because of the evidence, then it falls on the Arizona state legislature, just like in Pennsylvania, just like anywhere per the Constitution. Republicans in Arizona aren't just saying, we don't think we can certify. One high-powered Republican said, we should send for Trump. That's a big deal. And he may be setting himself up to make the um, faithless elector, just sending a goose egg, 
as a compromise because that's a big deal to send them for Trump when the state was allegedly for Trump's opponent. But it looks like there's a massive crowd getting ready for the press conference in Georgia. There's something big coming from Arizona. And we know recently the Maricopa County GOP chairwoman testified under oath, sworn affidavit that she saw Trump votes flip to Biden. Again, we need those ballots to be looked at. It's in process. It's not all of them, but they're going to get large samples of Maricopa County. And you know what happens. If you get a large enough sample and there was fraud, they're going to find examples, right? They're going to be able to pull these apart. And that's an indication. That's all we need. We don't have to find them all. We find a good percentage, right? 10%, 8%, right? If we're talking thousands of fake looking ballots, of ballots that were clearly fraudulently submitted without signature matching, without envelopes being matched, we're in, we're in the win zone, right? We're proving in, in real hard evidence, right? Paper evidence, like, it's like the body in a homicide case, right? We've got physical evidence to back up the compelling and really believable testimony of all these brave people that have appeared in these hearings. That's what we need. We haven't had hearings in Wisconsin, but I'd say the physical evidence of fraud, if I had to pick between the two, sadly, the press isn't going to help any of these people that are signing the affidavits and testifying and presenting their side. The physical evidence is more important if I have to pick between the testimony, evidence, and the physical. We want both, and I think we can get it, but will we get it in time? I now think this is just going to come down to the wire. We're, we're going to be mid to late next week. If we win, it's going to happen then. It's going to be close. Um, the Democrats, as this keeps happening, meaning hearings and evidence and momentum, slowly going towards Trump, even without the mainstream press, they can ignore it all they want. We live in a network media society. You've got guys like me. You've got YouTube channels. You've got Newsmax. You've got OANN, Gateway Pundit, American Thinker. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, Rush Limbaugh. Guys are all out there. He's got guest hosts this week reviewing this stuff. Hannity's been really good. He's the only Fox News person I even consider watching. Um, he's all over this. And so you've got that information. More and more people are asking questions, right? Guys like Jesse Morgan, the truck driver, like, wait a minute, this stinks. Maybe I should vote next time. Maybe I should pay attention to this because it is important. And so um, we, we've got to keep our finger, fingers crossed and say our prayers because in the end, we want to win this. And we're not giving up yet. I think we still can get those knockdowns. We need it soon. We need something, something big to really not just take, you know, to take this slow momentum into a tidal wave, a red tidal wave. And uh, that's, you know, that's something we're just waiting on. And Giuliani, Wood, all these attorneys, I mean, there's hundreds of them that are working day and night for this. And, you know, the question is, um, can we actually change hearts and minds during this time and after, and I think we can, you know, I, I, I'm not talking about changing the leftists you deal with. And um, when the dust settles after this first battle of the election, after next week, I will lay out exactly how to deal with the left. And it's easy if you make it so. You cannot be defeated in the arena of ideas when you're dealing with a leftist unless you defeat yourself, unless you go head to head with them in a talking point battle. And it's easier than you think to get sucked into that. And the reason I bring it up now, even though I'm not gonna go into it because it'll take a few minutes and I'll highlight it, is it's who's watching. Screw the person you're arguing with, right? If somebody uses the word baseless when they talk about the election fraud accusations and the impropriety, you know who you're dealing with, 
right? You're, you know you're dealing with a part-time legal virus, you name it, constitutional um, gender studies expert because they follow BuzzFeed and they watch MSNBC for about 30 minutes a day. Literally millions of people are like that. You probably know at least a dozen, maybe more, depending on where you live and what kind of family you come from, frankly. I mean, if you grew up in a liberal area, you're going to know more people you know, like me that are just um, not interested in knowing too much because they know enough to make them feel good about the ideas and beliefs they are comfortable with. And make no mistake, it's easier to be a liberal. It's easier to be a leftist because they can just kind of say yes to everything, right? You ask them how many genders and they have, how many you want there to be. Um, I mean, it's that simple, right? I mean, it's my body, my choice. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, literally, it's just my body. You can do whatever you want. I can. You can do that even if it involves another human life per science at a certain time. You're at a certain term in pregnancy. That can't be debated at all. No, no, no. It's simple. Just allow it. Just allow anything. Well, they're burning down buildings. It's fine. It's social justice. See where I'm going? They can justify anything because they have no damn standards, right? They can't even say God anymore. They can't even pledge allegiance to the flag. They can't even stand for the national anthem without being uncomfortable. Guys like Joe Biden used to be able to. Now they can't because they're part of a party and a, a movement that's becoming a machine going towards socialism and communism. And so if you're going to defeat them or at least put doubt on them, it's important that others see you do it. When these conversations come up, ask them simple questions. Know a little bit enough. Know enough to be dangerous regarding this election and ask them about the statistics. Because when you start asking them, you and the people around you watching and the person you're discussing with and about to argue with, it becomes very clear they don't know what they're talking about. They're not informed, right? So it's not their opinions they're right to have. It's free speech. But their opinions are from selective, comfortable sources, right? Little bits and pieces of information that fit in a nice little puzzle of life for them to go on and not know anything real about anything at all, right? Trump's a white supremacist. Republicans are racist, right? Russiagate. You go down, it's a little checklist, right? And they, like MSNBC told me so, right? BuzzFeed, obviously he cheated. You know, he cheated on the first election and whatever. You want, it, they just accept it. If you get into the talking point battle right off the bat, it's a pissing contest. Nobody wins and nobody's able to view or feel a victor. And I'm not talking about winning the idea discussion. I'm talking about just looking more informed and being more classy. If you lay back and ask them questions about what we're learning right now, just take this election steal as an issue, and you question them simply about the 19 counties that Trump won, 18 of them, the 19 bellwethers, you go through it, they're going to start getting uncomfortable. The first thing they're going to talk about is COVID. Well, COVID changed everything. Well, sure, COVID's a factor. And yeah, when we look at all these statistics that all point to something that should have been a Trump win, COVID might have changed some things. But keep in mind, COVID was a factor everywhere. So when Biden only outperformed Hillary in four urban counties across the country and couldn't touch her in the rest of them, you can't blame that on COVID. There wasn't just COVID issues in Milwaukee County or in um, Philadelphia or in Atlanta. COVID affected the vote, affected the turnout in every major city, especially the blue ones where the restrictions were ridiculous and overreaching. So be ready for that and just say, well, where was COVID differently affecting cities than you know other parts, right? How was COVID different in Detroit versus Philadelphia? What do you mean? It's like, well, I get COVID added more males. I mean, it's a factor, 
but it's a factor repeated across every city. So why still are those four different? Why? It's just happenstance. It's a coincidence. Because when you look at this leftist, you look at all the data, it's concerning. Don't you agree? They can't agree. So have you looked at it? Well, did you look at this? And you go through the data pieces. You go, go through the crazy anomalies and ask them specifically. They don't know. Those are talking points. Like, no, it's statistical data. It comes from the state voting results as certified. Now you got them. And he said, hey, you can disagree, but I mean, I looked at the evidence and I'm convinced there was systematic fraud that may have affected the outcome. The evidence points to it. It's too bad. And if it doesn't get looked at, you can say it's too bad. It, it didn't, you know, didn't get the time of day fast enough. Or you can say, this is why Trump won. How you like me now? And that's what we're hoping we get to say in a couple weeks when they try to attack you for stealing an election because you're a racist, bigot, homophobe. Be ready. Don't jump into it. I'll prepare you for that time. It'll be a glorious day. We're praying for it. Uh, watch the announcements today. Let's look at what we can win, right? Don't look at what just gets you excited. Focus and pray for evidence that is going to hold up in court. And then we want to hear some judgments go our damn way. The lawyers have got to get some wins. I think they're going to. And to finalize it, I almost forgot, Parnell and Kelly are going to the Supreme Court. God love them. They lost in the leftist Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and they are appealing to the U.S. Supreme Court. Here's why I like their chances. I like them because Sam Alito, who is has the jurisdiction, he's the Supreme Court justice who oversees Pennsylvania. He's already ruled in favor of protecting the law with regard to universal mail-in, right? He said separate all those ballots that came in after 8 p.m. on November 3rd, and they didn't do that. So you know he's fired up about that. Remember, Parnell and Kelly are dealing with Article 77 and the law that illegally, it wasn't a law, it wasn't, it, well, it was. It was a, uh, it, but it wasn't an amendment. And it, you can't just pass a new law with less votes to override what was Article 7 in their Pennsylvania Constitution, which details mail-in voting. And so what the Republican, what the legislator did last year in a deal in October 2019 is they passed this Article 77, expanding mail-in ballot opportunity. But it wasn't legal. It's against the Constitution. There's nothing backing it. And a judge ruled in Parnell and Kelly's favor already and wrote that the case is meritorious. That opinion matters just as much as the PA Supreme Court does. Remember, PA Supreme Court used some rare used statute latches it's called they basically says well we probably agree it probably isn't constitution you just didn't do it in time well they didn't have damages yet back in october 2019 so i am hoping the supreme court sees the legal merit of their appeal and agrees to actually just see the case i mean obviously we want to win five to four is what we need we want nine zero because we hope the supreme court wants to appear aligned but they got to agree to take the case I don't know how long that takes. They filed late yesterday, Tuesday, their appeal. And they discussed these things amongst themselves. We know Sam Alito is arguing to take it. Some legal experts who I don't believe are partisan, at least in their, in their opinion, have shared something concerning to me. And this is what I'll close with. Finally, the remedy issue is what they talk about. When the Supreme Court looks at taking a case, they, they have to consider what they're going to do by ruling in favor of the plaintiff. So that's Parnell and Kelly here, right? Representative Kelly and the candidate Parnell in Pennsylvania saying, hey, the entire universal mail-in ballot system that we used in this massive election in Pennsylvania is unconstitutional. The justices are probably going to agree that it might be ahead of time amongst themselves.
What they will also consider is the impact of their remedy by ruling in favor of Parnell and Kelly. It's pretty self-explanatory. If they say Article 77, which was passed last year, is not constitutional, then any ballot that was submitted with those new rules that were unconstitutional in mind is illegal and will not be counted. There's no getting around that if they rule in favor of Parnell and Kelly. That's, that's got to be, I believe, by the numbers, at least 1.8 million potential votes being thrown out. You think you've seen riots and air quotes peaceful protests now? Just wait if the Supreme Court takes the case and rules Article 77 unconstitutional. It'll be clear what ballot can be counted and what can't as far as mail-in, and it's going to be a lot that get thrown out. And it will be a meltdown like you've never seen, and it will be bad. Should they let that change doing the right thing? Absolutely not. They need to take the case and they need to rule in favor of the Constitution. I'm hopeful. I don't know what's going on. Um, I will be very disappointed, and I think it will be a serious indication of our chances if the Supreme Court says, no, we won't take the case. Because that is, it's not a judgment, but it's not a message we want sent to everyone else. We're going to be asked for judgments or for votes in favor of sending electors for Trump or just not certifying and not sending electors at all. So that Supreme Court case is going to be big if they take it. That's the first thing we need. We need the Supreme Court to say we will take this case. It's not the last chance. There will be other appeals in the next week to the U.S. Supreme Court. But this Pennsylvania Article 77 challenge is the first one. And it's a big win just by getting it in front of these judges and giving the attorneys for Parnell and Kelly a chance to argue it. I might be back tonight if I can. Um, if the news is big enough, I will. I'm turning on that press conference right now in Georgia. I'll see what we find out there, and I'll watch for other news. Thank you again for tuning in for what was, like I said, going to be a long show. Try not to be all over the place. The amount of information I have here is overwhelming. I try to keep it organized. Probably should have opened up with the Pennsylvania Supreme Court discussion, but I'm assuming you guys are hanging in for the whole thing, and I hope you do. I hope it's getting better. I appreciate your support. I appreciate some of you who followed me on Twitter at Enemy Lines Radio, and I'll be putting up some more social media opportunities here over the next couple weeks. Thank you, God bless, and we will talk to you soon.